You're listening to another episode of The Zag. Eric Desoeb here, excited to talk to 2011 fellow Patrick Furlong, who I've not talked to in quite some time. So you're going to enjoy hearing two old friends catch up. I have actually no idea what he's doing, so I can't even give him a proper bio. Uh, so let's get to it and let's stop listening to me. Thanks for listening to The Zag. Yeah, so like I feel like my only knowledge of you is what I've seen on on the Facebooks and the social medias. So uh, maybe let's start in the present and work back. So where where are you working presently? Great question. So I am back at a place I'm pretty familiar with. I'm working at Loyola Marymount University. Okay, and what's the role this time? So this time I'm working with a really cool program. Um, the university created something here called the Community of Care. And so it's a program basically for students who can get referred in for any number of concerns And my job is to basically just kind of help do what we can to get them back on track so they feel like, all right, we're thriving personally and academically and go from there. And then the job you had at LMU before that, how many years ago had you been out of their campus orbit? I had, so I worked at LMU prior running like international immersion, social justice work and had a ton of fun with it and then got a chance to actually go from like week-long immersions to helping to run they have a semester-long social justice immersion program in Argentina. So I ran that for a little bit and then actually decided to kind of explore a new world. A friend and mentor of mine was working at Tom's, the shoe company, Hmm. and they have a cool setup where any of their employees, after their first year of employment, their third year, and every subsequent three years, gets a chance to go into the field, so to speak, and meet the nonprofit giving partners that work with Tom's and see, like, their work with Tom's, but also just like how much more comprehensive their work is and what that does. So I was leading a different international trip every month, basically for Tom's for a couple of years. Jeez. Okay. So then yeah. we'll maybe go back even further. So where did the love of travel come from? Cause I feel like since I've known you, you've been on many adventures all across the world. Like where did that even start? Oh my God. Um, I feel like I have a story similar to so many people, you know, I think just kind of growing up, in the socioeconomic background I grew up in, growing up in kind of the culture I grew up in, we didn't really travel. So the first time I left the country was actually in my sophomore year as a university student when I was 20 years old, and it was to Guatemala. And then, you know, not counting Mexico, we went to Mexico a bunch because I lived in a border state. So (laughs) going to Mexico felt like going to the next town. But um, yeah, and it just kind of bit me there where I was in Guatemala and was just so fascinated by being in a different cultural context, learning new things, and just the constant discovery. And so I think it really bit then, and then it just kind of evolved and evolved and evolved. And so I've always done the personal side of it. I'm a big travel hacking nerd. And then that just kind of dovetailed with the professional work in 2012 when I got to start leading students on immersion trips. And it was this passion of going into, you know, kind of communities that I'm really passionate about, typically marginalized communities or under-resourced communities, while at the same time exposing students to social justice challenges and trying to push them to think about, okay, how do you bring this home and how do you incorporate this in your life and your work, et cetera. And so then for the, the college kids that you're taking on these trips, what percentage of them would you say are going on the trip with the guise of social justice, but they're actually just going to have fun and be silly? And how many of them are actually mission-driven? This is what I want to do, and I'm so glad to be doing this right now. You know, it's funny because, I mean, like, you know, so when we're going to Tijuana, we're sleeping on the floor in like a rec center doing stuff like that when I was leading these trips. So like word gets around pretty quick of like, we're not going to like La Sexta and Revolucion. <laughs> so it kind of weeds people out that way. 
But on the other trips I would run, you know, like you're going to like Tanzania, you're going to Ecuador, like there's a certain allure aside from social justice. And I kind of had this attitude. Most people would say like, oh, we only want like the true believers and like who's really committed to the cause. And I really worked to kind of fill my trips in a different way where like if I felt you were giving me the once over and you didn't really care, but you just wanted to go somewhere, my attitude was like, cool, on the right trip. I have a chance to now kind of bring you into the camp of giving a crap about social justice. So I always mm-hmm. looked at that as like, all right, you think you're just going to go and hang out and have fun? I want you because I think I have a program that's going to be able to actually tell you why you should care about gang violence in El Salvador, you know? So then when you say plan the trips, is that literally everything from the flights and the logistics to what the experiences will be once you get on the ground? How does that work? Yeah, when I was doing that work, we did depending who you work with. When I was at LMU, it was kind of more, you know, on the pre-trip side. So I was doing all the logistics, doing all that. But then another key component, which I loved in a university environment, is like, it's an educational experience. So we really push that. It's not just this one week where you're there and that's it. But we're really working throughout the entire year leading up. Oftentimes, they're over spring break. And we were working to educate them about, you know, the community they'd be visiting, the challenges there, the opportunities there, the organizations providing services, and get them to reflect on that. And then when I was at Tom's, and then, you know, once we got there, we work with amazing nonprofits usually who just kind of take over from there. Hmm. And I work to handle the student reflection components because at the evening, you can imagine if you're 19, you've never left the country, and you're in San Salvador and seeing the way gang violence has plagued a community, it's pretty heavy. And so you need a way to kind of talk that out amongst your community and then also figure out like, what is this calling action of me when I get home? And then when I was at Tom's, we were much more intensive. I think we missed the educational component a little bit because people have jobs and it's hard to Mm -hmm. get them away for hours at a time. But we really tried to kind of do as much as we could for the on the ground work to like take that pressure off our partners. And then for the students, you you hear this in the progressive community sometimes about it's problematic when uh, or maybe how would I say it? Like, are our mission trips problematic? Our service mission trips problematic because okay. you're there for a short time, or maybe you get a, a misconception, or there's you know, a little mixing in of savior complex. Like, how do you sort of manage all those realities where it's a, it's an authentic experience, but you know it's it can't be an experience where they're going to live there forever? How do you kind of balance and make sure people have the right mindset and they're approaching it in a uh, sincere way? Yeah, I mean, what I would always say in the immersion world is like. When we do our jobs right, we're creating kind of symbiotic and transformational opportunities that benefit the community that's getting visited, as well as the community of students that are coming on that opportunity. When a immersion director or anything like that does their job wrong, it's poverty tourism. It smacks of tackiness, all of that. So I think it's a number of things, you know, so like one thing we were really insistent on, which is kind of recognizing the realities of this day and age was there's zero cameras and there's zero cell phones in the community. Like I was not interested in having students take a photo with a kid and then put that up on their Facebook profile of like, mm. there's that time when I made such a huge impactful difference. So we were very, very <laughs> deliberate on like, you don't know the complete message and like, we're not going to give you the opportunity to do poverty tourism in that way. So I think those little things matter, but a lot of people don't think of them. And on the bigger stage, it's really kind of how you talk to students and how you talk to the community to do the trip. So when I work with the organizations I would work with, you know, I'd always say, what's going to be really beneficial for you? Like, what would be best for your community on this trip? Let's talk through what that might look like and how that matters. And then with the students, we would push through, you know, we really kind of transition from like service trips to educational trips. 
Mm-hmm. And the idea is, you know, like I would always tell students, like, you know what, Latin America doesn't need any more manual labor. And if they do need manual labor, they certainly don't need a college student who doesn't know how to do it well. So, like, <laughs> I'm not interested in having you build a wall or paint something else that the community could do 10 times better. What I am interested in doing is getting you to understand that the people you're going to meet, whether it's, you know, brave people working difficult jobs and nonprofits, or whether it's people who are recipients of those services, that they're your teachers for the week. And you're going to learn from them. And then the important part, which everyone's trying to figure out how to constantly improve, is what do you do with that when you get back, right? Like, not all of us are meant to go move down to Ecuador. But how can an interaction you had looking at kind of educational injustice in Ecuador shape the way you see your career and the way you see what you can do in Los Angeles with our own educational injustices? So I think it's like cultural immersion and exposure. And then I think it's also just about educating people and really kind of in the advance, wiping away that savior complex and calling students out when they slip into it. Yeah, makes sense. When we come back, I'll ask uh, Patrick a little more about working at Tom's. I'm curious about that. And he's also going to tell us how to travel for free because the man has the man has ideas, I bet. Can't wait to hear it. You're listening to The Zag. Stay tuned. All right, so how did Tom's woo you from doing what you're doing at LMU the first time over to work for them? You know, it's funny. I had a good friend of mine that was, um, she's really a big mentor of mine as well. She was an epidemiologist at UCLA and Tom's wooed her over to really kind of focus on what they were doing with impact and things like that. And so this job became available to lead these trips. And she talked to me and initially I said, well, you know, I don't know, like, I like what I'm doing. I love being with college students. And she had a challenge for me. It's kind of similar, you know, like people in LA know Greg Boyle and Homeboy Industries, and he's got a new book out called Barking to the Choir. And she's like, but the work you're doing is barking to the choir. (laughs) Like you're taking a bunch of students who are already bought into social justice and taking them to see what they already believe is important. And like that matters. And there's a place for that. And she's like, but imagine like being at a place like Tom's where you would have much more mix. You would have people who care about that social mission, but you also might have people where they just work in IT and like they got the job because they like being in Playa Vista and that's great. And mm-hmm. you're then working to convince them that, hey, this social mission matters and that you want to see businesses conduct themselves more ethically. And so I kind of like the challenge of like, all right, yeah, let's try that where I'm not barking to the choir all the time, but really trying to like work with a more diverse group of people than, you know, I think the typical college student profile. And did you take the family on these longer trips or were they short enough for you that you would go and then come back? No, that was part of the challenge of the work was, you know, I was away nine to 10 days a month. Hmm. And, you know, I think it's hard on me personally when I've got a two and a half year old kid at home and like, that's hard. But I think I'm also aware of it was becoming even more and more difficult on my wife because you're single parenting it. You know, I think each of us, have through our various travel schedules have developed an immense respect. We already had it, but an even more immense respect for single parents. I'm just like, man, a week feels exhausting, you know, and kind of how you do it full time. And I know you've got communal support, but I would take the funny thing is the community I worked with down in Tijuana is the one I'm closest to from my LMU time. And we take my son down there whenever we can, you know, so we try and get him there because it's a community that I just grew really close to and with people in it that I count amongst really important friends and mentors of mine. Okay. So then let me ask some rapid fire questions here about all your traveling adventures and experiences. One, is there anywhere that you have not gone yet that you want to go? Oh my God, of course. Um, Such as? 
Gosh, you know, let's be so cliche and throw Iceland on that list. Okay. That was, yeah. <laughs> That's a big one. Cuba, you know, China, the whole nine yards. I think almost everywhere in the world I'm interested in going. Got it. And so you've, have you been to six continents yet? The answer would be yes, right? You've been to... Have I been to six continents? I know I'm like North America, South right. America, Australia. Africa, you got Africa, Asia. Got Asia. Europe, yeah. you're good. We're good. Yep. Yeah, and just give a little more time on global warming. You can just row row your boat down Antarctica. Be, uh, I mean, I've got seven for seven. countries down, but global warming might unfortunately make it easier uh, to tackle those. <laughs> and then, what's your favorite airline to use when you travel? I go on networks because you know you once you get that allegiance yeah. and you get that elite Star Alliance. Man, oh man, one world is uh, <laughs> it is like yeah, that's the funny thing, right? Is you have all these people, especially who work in like any context of international development you're out in the field working in these like really difficult conditions. And then the airport is like this other world experience of like, Oh, here's a tiny glimpse of what your life could have been if you went the corporate side instead. And like, you appreciate it for what it is, but then you're like, yep, that's a temporary thing. I much more prefer being in the field with everyone. Yeah. And you've been pretty successful at accumulating points and doing all that fun stuff with points. What are your one or two suggestions for people who would like to be a airline point master? Yeah, you know, it's getting harder and harder. The airlines are getting smarter. Kudos to them. <laughs> but there was a great time when it was just really easy to earn the miles. But um, I think the couple points I have are, you know, really, if you're looking at seriously earning miles, where they're at, unfortunately, is with credit card sign-up bonuses. And you can do it, but you have to really kind of do your research, look at how it works with credit scores, all that. Make sure you know how to manage your money. I've seen a few people that think they can get involved with it, and then they carry a balance. And it's like... I'll do that with a car that has a 20% APR, like that defeats the purpose of the free miles. And the second one more and more is, you know, most of these airlines now basically award you miles based on how much money you spent. And in the old Mm -hmm. days, it was a mile for every mile flown, but like Alaska Airlines still awards you for the miles you flew. So Hmm. I've taken a hard look at, does Alaska make the most sense to me to kind of switch my allegiance and my loyalty? Because unless you're spending large amounts of money, you come out disadvantaged when it's per dollar. Yeah, that makes sense. And you do the same thing for hotels and rental cars or mainly just flights and airlines? Yeah, mainly just flights and airlines. I mean, I look at, I love public transportation. I think that's the person who went through urban planning classes in me that like (laughs) the best way you learn a city is really kind of being on the bus and seeing it. So I make a point to really use public transpo whenever I can. And then, you know, I think nice hotels are great, but I'm much more interested. Like you can find such cost efficient opportunities between Airbnb, boutique hotels, things of that nature. So I don't really care about hotel loyalty as much. Like when I get to a place, I'm willing to stay kind of more basic accommodations. Got it. And the last thing I've been asking folks who've been on the podcast, been on the Zag, who have kids, what their plan is or approach will be to raise a progressive child. You mentioned having traveling be a big part of that but any other things that you and laura have talked about to make sure your kid turns out progressive yeah it's funny so we went um i picked him up the other day from preschool and i was talking to his teacher and she's like he's saying this one sentence that's just really weird (laughs) and uh, yeah right every time you hear that you're like oh god what is it and she's like and i'm just wondering like if it'll make sense to you and i was like okay and she's like it's something about going to prison and i was like Oh, yeah, it's a line from a book called The Youngest Marcher. You know, it's a book about the civil rights and <laughs> children that, like, 
basically did civil disobedience and went to prison <laughs> for their civil disobedience. And she was like, oh, it's like, fortunately, I think she's down with it. So she's like, that's awesome. And that's I was funny. like, yep. She's like, we just didn't get it when he was talking about prison. We were trying to figure it out. So, you know, I think one thing we're doing is trying to really be intentional about the books we expose them to now and beyond. I think we are very, very intentional about, you know, who we spend time with and kind of who we interact with and making sure that he constantly sees Diversity, because I think being progressive is really being diverse in every aspect of that word. And then the other thing that I think is so cool as a parent in this generation is, you know, like we got a photo of him wearing a dress the other day. Hmm. And I can just imagine a generation prior, it would be like, what's your kid doing in a dress? And now it's like, cool. Like, <laughs> maybe nothing may mean something. And it doesn't matter to us. Like, <laughs> we will be thrilled whoever our son turns out to be. So I think it's cool, but you know, I always worry like my parents are conservative and I'm like, man, what if my kid went the reverse? Like what would I do <laughs> conservative? And I don't know how to handle that because I think when it's conservative to liberal, like that's more idealistic, but when it's liberal to conservative, that's cynical and that scares me. <laughs> yeah, that's when you write them out of the will and disown them. Exactly. That's when you hope you have take a hard line, Patrick. Don't let it don't let it happen. Don't let it happen. Listen, I'm glad you're on the right track with all those things. Parent wise and travel wise and work wise good to catch up with you and thanks for everyone for listening to this episode of the zag remember you can find all episodes and there's a lot about 29 almost 30 now in the itunes store uh google play soundcloud you can find us just about anywhere thanks for listening stay tuned for more episodes coming soon